0: The kids want to stand up and head to their class, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and we're going to look at the Song of Mary. So as the kids make their way, everyone else can, if you have your Bibles, be turning to chapter 1 of Luke. Luke. And we're going to look at verse 26 all the way till 56, so a good chunk. So I'm going to start reading it now as they make away, way, so you can start tuning your ear to hear. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. And how will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin?" And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren, unable to conceive, is in her sixth month, for no word from the Lord will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word be to me fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried down to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb and Elizabeth were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to see me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Then Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His outstretched arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled with the hungry with good things, but the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as He promised to our ancestors." And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So this morning, we're looking at Mary's song, and probably for the last 20 years at least, the most asked question every Christmas season is, what do you want for Christmas? Or what do you want Santa to bring you? But maybe the second most asked question is, Mary, did you know? And so if you listen to Christian radio, you know that over the last 20 years, the, it's a modern Christmas classic has sprung up, and you can hear the song, Mary, Did You Know? You can hear it uh, everywhere. It's kind of like Christmas kudzu. It just kind of springs out of places. And it's asking, what did Mary know? And the story behind the song is pretty interesting. In 1984, uh, at Thomas Rhodes Baptist Church, Jerry Falwell asked Mark Lowry, the singer-comedian, to write the lyrics for their living Christmas tree. And so they had part of it's a drama, and so write the the dialogue for uh, the drama. And uh, Mark said he was having a hard time like entering into kind of the emotional uh, place of of Mary. He was a young guy at the time. He was like 32 and just didn't have a lot of categories. So he sat down at the breakfast table with his mother and was asking, all right, what would it have been like? And they were started talking about just that experience. And uh, she said a remark, she said from him, uh, a remark from her stuck with him. She said, well, if anyone on earth knew for sure that Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary knew. And uh, he started thinking about that. Like, well, I wonder what she actually knew. Said my mind began to go back to that manger scene. And I began to think about the power, authority, and majesty that she cradled in her arms. And how those little lips were the same lips that had spoken word the worlds into existence. And all those things were contained in that young child. And so he lay at his breakfast table. He just started writing questions. All right, I want, if Mary was here, what would I ask her? Did you know this? Did you know that? So he wrote them down and just kind of marinated on. They just kind of sat there for about seven years. And then uh, Buddy Green, who was a musician, CCM musician in Nashville, was wanting some lyrics for some different things they were doing. So he sent him the questions And then he just kind of sat on them for a couple weeks and then thought they would sound really good, like in a minor key, so started putting a little music to them, and he said that 30 minutes later he had this music, and then one of their friends named Michael English was trying to get his first CD out, and he needed some songs, so they said, here, let's record this one, see what you think, and uh, as they say... The rest is history, so uh, the song went out, and now it's kind of in the Nashville CCM world. They call it the hit maker. So if you want a, a surefire hit, you put that on 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 your on your CD. And so the question is, you know, what did she actually know? And in our text this morning, kind of say, kind of tongue in cheek, yes, she did know. She actually did know. A lot of things. And so here are the things that she did know. And my aim this morning, what I want you to feel and experience this morning is I want Mary's song to become our song. And so we're going through the four original Christmas carols, the original Christmas songs, and we're wanting the song of Zechariah, the song of Mary, the song of the angels, the song of Simeon to become our song. Because your life and your heart is going to sing a song this Christmas could be a song of joy and celebration. It could be a song of anxiety or fear, but you're going to sing a song. And so the question is, how do we make Mary's song our song? I was telling uh, my six-year-old that what I wanted for her and what I was talking about this sermon is how to have a Merry Christmas and she got a big kick out of that joke. So I don't know, I only have a certain window where the corny dad jokes are going to be funny. And so I'm going to try and utilize it and make as much hay in that in that in that time as I can. So, I want you to have a merry Christmas this morning. And the way we can do that is figure out how to get her song into us, cuz her song is a song of hope, it's a song of triumph, it's a song of joy and confidence. And the question is, how can we get that song into us? And one of the things, when you look at Mary and Elizabeth, you really see all of the appropriate emotions that Christmas should bring. And one of the challenges with Christmas is we know it should be a season of celebration. It should be a season of hope. It should be a season of joy. And we know we should feel that, but often we don't. And then we wonder, why? Why do we not feel these things? Because the reality is that the real emotions of Christmas can't be worked up from inside you. You know, the real joy of Christmas can't be purchased. The real joy of Christmas can't be manufactured. You can't click a buy it now button and have it on your door in two days. These things you can't create in you, they have to come from outside of you. The real joy of Christmas comes down to us and we receive it. So it's hard to get. True joy is a gift that comes down from above. So what we want to do is kind of walk through this story, look at different pieces. We're going to focus primarily on her song, and then the question we're asking is, how do we make this song our song? So if you're going to have a Merry Christmas, first song is going to be your song. First, let's set the stage and look at a couple different things. We need to set the stage and hear the setting, the singer, and the situation. So setting the stage, the infancy narratives in Luke chapter 1, chapter 2, his major goal is to lay out for you, you know, these songs are introductions to the salvation that Jesus is going to bring. So he's trying to get you kind of keyed in on the major action. And one of the things he does, Luke loves to give you two stories that you parallel so you can see the similarities and the differences to see what's going on. And so in the first chapter, he's paralleling the birth of John and the birth of Jesus. So the similarities is that both are born to godly women whose pregnancies seem impossible. Both have the same angel come and announce that the birth is coming. Both of them are told, Zechariah and Mary, not to be afraid. Each they're told they're going to have a son. They're each told the name for that son. They're each given a sign to confirm the word of the angel. But then there's some differences between uh, the sons. John is the forerunner who announces the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment. John is the one who's born out of barrenness, but Jesus is born out of virginity. John is a prophet who speaks the word, but Jesus is the actual word. John points the way, Jesus is the way. And so these four great hymns in chapter 1 and chapter 2 kind of set the stage for help us to understand who he is and what he's come to do. And what's interesting is going through the history of worship, uh, the church for a thousand years have used these different songs, some in daily prayers, the song of Mary to begin your day, song of majesty of thanking the Lord, and the song of Simeon uh, to end your day. And now may your servant rest in peace and use these songs to help bracket your day and bracket your life. So these songs are about how he, uh, he is here and he's going to redeem his people. So now let's look at the, the singer. Who sings this song? And in one sense, Mary is the most unlikely candidate you could imagine to sing this song. You look at verse 26 and 27. Uh, God sent an angel to Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. You know, she's, she's young, she's poor, She's living in a cultural kind of backwater. Remember, she's from Nazareth. You remember what Philip said when uh, Peter told him, we found the Savior, he comes from Nazareth. And Philip says, Nazareth? Anything good come from there? And so that's where she's from. So from a human point of view, she's probably you know, incredibly insignificant. I mean, she's got no pedigree, she's got no education, she doesn't have status, wealth, the family connections that in this world make you. And yet, she's the one to whom the Lord comes. Notice what in verse 28. You know, the Lord, the angel said to her, Greetings. Notice God's perspective of her. Like other 13 or 14-year-old girls, and she was probably somewhere in the neighborhood, 13 to 16-ish, young, what we say, young teenager, somewhere in that range. Probably if, uh, if she came to the big city of Jerusalem and was surrounded by a sea of other 14-year-old girls, she would probably get a lot of eye rolls, A lot of, you know, look at the hillbilly, look at the hick. She wouldn't feel very confident or comfortable in that kind of world. But look at what God's opinion of her is in verse 28. Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. She has the Lord's favor and she has the Lord's presence. You who are highly favored, you've experienced the the grace of the Lord. It's on you and he is with you. And what I find so fascinating is, look in verse 29. She doesn't know how to respond to this compliment. This angel has come, and maybe she's scared because it's an angel. That would be totally logical. But he says, "Greetings, you highly favored. The Lord is with you." And it says that her soul is troubled. But it says she was troubled by the greeting. It's almost like she's like looking around, like, "Is it me? Is he talking to me? Highly favored, me?" And so, in one sense, this is the most unlikely person. Now, let's look at her situation. Um, As soon as she hears this, the Lord gives her this incredible promise. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. His power's going to overshadow you. Uh, The the Lord himself is going to dwell in you. And this son is going to be the fulfillment of the hopes and promises to, to David and your people. And then she responds in the classic, beautiful line in 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be unto me according to your word. And then instantly in 39, she goes to Elizabeth. So she runs down to Elizabeth. Now this is no, it's interesting, I wonder who she went with. I mean, 14-year-old girl taking off. This is 60 miles alone through the hill country. And she goes to see her aunt, Elizabeth. And think about just the Lord's blessing or provision for Elizabeth and Mary in this interaction. Because Elizabeth has secluded herself in her home. She's pregnant for the first time. And her husband, who probably went, let's be honest, wouldn't be a whole lot of help anyway. But he's even less helpful now because he can't see or, or he can't hear or speak. And so she's alone. And then here comes Mary. And what the beautiful thing about this image is both Mary and Elizabeth, they needed one another. They needed one another. And then when they come and encounter, there's this beautiful scene of this joy that comes because the Holy Spirit's there and Christ is there, even if it's just in, kind of in the womb. And John, in the womb, he noticed or he recognizes and he leaps for joy. And you see at this very beginning the joy that the gospel is to bring. It comes bringing joy when he arrives. But what I find so interesting is that each stage in Mary's life, there's someone who's there with her you know what she she probably thought she was going to Elizabeth to help her but more than likely she received more help than she got I mean in her own life she needs the wisdom of Elizabeth she needs the support of Elizabeth she needs her perspective and this is one of the great ministries that we have with one another and uh, I find it fascinating that in each stage of Mary's life there's someone there with her to encourage her walk with her, Elizabeth here. Then in chapter 2, Anna will come along with her at the temple and be with her. When she's at the cross, John, uh, Jesus gives her John to take care of her. And I think the reality is, um, if you're a Mary in this room, do you realize you need that? Like, you need people in your life to bring wisdom, perspective, support or maybe you're Elizabeth in this room, and do you realize you need to give that? Maybe you have the wisdom, the perspective, the ability to support. Uh, they need each other. Mary needs Elizabeth. Elizabeth needs Mary. And so they come together, and then um, there's this, this song. Now let's move into Mary's uh, song. So if, you're, if her song is going to be the song in your heart this Christmas, kind of got to set the stage so you can see what's happening, but then you got to hear the song. And know what the song is about. And this has, we, there's a Latin name for this, the Magnificat, which means majesty, to magnify, to glorify. And that comes from the first words, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul glorifies Him. I exalt Him. And my spirit rejoices within me. And so notice this part of the structure, verse 47 through 49, she sings about what God has done for her what he's done for me. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He's looked, he's seen me, and now on all generations will call me blessed. So she praises God for what he's done for her, and then 50 through 53, she shifts to what he, he's going to do in general, his mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with His arm. 52, He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He's filled the hungry with good things. And then 54 and 55, she shifts to what He's done for His servants in, pl- in plural, His people throughout uh, their History. And so there's three things I want you to notice and kind of key in on. Because if her song's going to be your song, there's three things that she knew about the Lord that had gripped her heart. And if you're going to sing a song of joy and hope and confidence this Christmas, you'll need to know those three things as well. And we want these things to grip our heart as well. So the first thing that gripped her heart that caused her to sing this song is that she praises God for what he does with his eyes. Kind of three things you can see in this room. What he does with his eyes, what he does with his arm, and what he says with his mouth. But first, what he does with his eyes. He watches over his servant. See that in verse 48. He's been mindful. He looks. Isn't it interesting that the first line of her song of praise is that he sees. He sees me. And as I was thinking about this week, I'm a little kind of my academic training is in history and as a historian. One thing I don't like is when modern people impose their issues on people of the past. So like when I'm watching The Lord of the Rings, it drives me crazy, like in the third movie where uh, they have this the dramatic scene where uh, Elrod is, is trying to convince Aragorn to not, uh, you know, become the man he was meant to be. He has this emotional, personal, existential crisis where he's fleeing from his identity and quit hiding and be the man you're supposed to be kind of thing. That's not in the book at all. That's a 20th century, you know, kind of imposition on, and Tolkien was too smart to have that. And so as I was thinking about this, I don't want to do this now to Mary, to impose 21st century, 13-year-old girl angst on her. But I wonder, what was she feeling I mean, really, what was it like? What did she know? I mean, did she really sense? The first thing she praises the Lord for is, he sees me. And I just wonder if that's a universal question that just not just 13-year-old girls are asking. Everyone is asking, does he see me? I'm really intrigued. And one of the things I want to read up on this uh, Christmas break, i got a couple books set aside. Because I'm really intrigued by the, because in one sense, our technological explosion is all new. Like We, we don't know. We don't know the effects of uh, excessive screen time on children or things like that, because it's all new. So we're just kind of learning as you go. And I'm, uh, there's a couple books that have kind of caught my attention, because one of the things I'm interested in, maybe it's just a life stage of where I am, is what, what does this affect on children? Like How does it affect them? And one of the, the sad things in our current Culture is the incredible spike in depression among uh, 13 to 17 year old girls. Then ask him why. There's a couple interesting books that are wrestling with that. One that I'm intrigued by is called The Coddling of the American Mind uh, by Jonathan Haidt. And I was listening to an interview with him, and he was talking about how, all right, you know, every Every 14 year old girl is already hypersensitive and aware of how people around her are viewing her. And so, you know, you give boys like smartphones and things, bad things can happen. They get like a Fortnite, you know, they play Fortnite all the time. But what do girls do? They get on these social, you know, social social things where they're constantly uh, having their status in their community either (laughs) affirmed or brought down. And it creates a certain type of neurotic tendencies. And it reminded me, I was listening to this interview by a politician, and he was talking about the different ways our political order is you know, kind of broken and some of the things that we need to do to fix it. And he says one of the challenges is kind of in the political world now, we're always um, campaigning and never get to legislate. And he says, if you're always, he said what campaigning is like, when you're campaigning, it creates this neurotic tendency where you're constantly looking around like, how am I doing? How am I doing? Or people, like, what are my opinion polls? Do people like me? Are they approving of what I'm saying? And he says, it's awful because you become so, like, self-obsessed. And, uh, and, and he says, it's terrible what it does to you. And then his, his daughter heard him say that, and she started laughing, and she goes, dad, welcome to ninth grade. That's just life. And I I wonder, you know, what the first thing that Mary praises the Lord for is that He sees me. And here I was, I thought I was an insignificant person in an insignificant place doing insignificant things, and He sees. His eyes are on me. And maybe that's what you need to know if you're going to have a Merry Christmas this morning. If her song is going to be your song, maybe your head has hit the pillow and you've wondered, does anybody see, know, or care? And then this is the word that comes to her, he sees. And the next thing I think is fascinating in the same kind of vein, look at 49 and 50, He says, look what he's supplied. He sees and he's supplied. He's supplied a name, a legacy from now on. He's done something for me that generation after generation are going to call me blessed he's done this extraordinary thing for me and it lifts her soul up now you might be thinking well yeah mary was kind of unique i mean here she was you know if if an angel came into my living room and started telling me these things i might sing for joy too but i don't get to hear from an angel you might even think all i get to hear from is you i just come here and hear you and that's, that's that's much worse than an angel so granted i grant you that But notice what causes Mary her joy is her joy comes from the fact that the Holy Spirit uh, is going to overshadow her and then actually Christ is going to dwell in her. I mean, we could say, all right, she had the Holy Spirit overshadowing her and Christ himself was dwelling in her. If I had that, I'd be happy too. But then remember in John, before Jesus leaves, he tells the disciples, it's actually for your good that I go away because if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit can't come. And then the Holy Spirit gets poured out on Pentecost. And one thing Paul reminds believers over and over, your hope of glory is Christ in you. So maybe we have more access to the reality that Mary experienced than we often think. Because as believers, the reality is that the Holy Spirit uh, overshadows us and Christ actually does, by faith, dwell in us. And so if we're going to have a Merry Christmas and sing her song, we got to know we're actually experiencing the same reality that caused her to sing. Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. So her soul magnifies the Lord because he sees her and he supplies exactly what she needs. But notice the next thing, what his arm does. 51, 52, 53, what he does with his arm. And here you see this great reversal. And I kind of love this. There's a kind of teenage kind of punk rock edge to this element of the song. And I don't know if anybody's ever connected punk rock to the Magnificat, because normally they don't go together, but there is a certain edge here. And listen, which says, "...he's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down the rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent away the rich empty." And what she's doing is there's, these are the three great prides of worldly life. And she's saying all these things are being flipped upside down. This pride of intellectual uh, achievement, philosophical knowledge, the pride, he's flipping it up. The pride of political power, he's flipping it upside down. The pride of worldly riches and wealth, he's flipping it all upside down. And the reality, one of the things that Christmas comes and tells us and does for us is, in one sense, our world is flipped upside down. And Christ is coming to turn it back over. You know, it's kind of like we live in a world where the price tags have all been put on the wrong things. And we don't, we, we don't know how to value the things that are truly value. We place too low a value on things that are really valuable and too high a value on things that aren't. The price tags have been all mixed up. I saw this past week, this exchange, I was at this. Uh, uh, retail place shopping, taking some things back and and during Christmas, be kind to the minimum wage retailers, you know, they're, they're not making enough money to put up with people's stuff. And there was this, I felt so bad for this poor little girl because she was just sitting there and it was so obvious the people in front of me were just trying to scam her and they were being rude and obnoxious and it was obvious they had taken price tags from a, a lower priced item and had put it on a higher priced item and they were upset that they weren't honoring the price that they swindled. And they were arguing with her and saying, hey, if this was Walmart, they would just give us this to us for that price, and she's like, that's not Walmart, and that's exactly what they had done, and I thought, this is a perfect illustration of our world. You know, we live in a world where the, the price tags are all mixed up. We're highly valuing things we shouldn't and too lowly valuing other things, and what Mary does is she celebrates the fact that these three great things are being reordered, readjusted, re-evaluated. The pride of the intellect in verse 51, the pride of position and power, the pride of wealth in 53. Because one of the things he's doing is showing us what really matters. I mean, can these things really substitute for his presence? The song of Mary celebrates that he is with me no matter what. And all of these things, political power, position, wealth, these things can't satisfy me if he, is, if he sees And he acts. But notice who he sees and acts for is for the humble in 52. He has come to help and to heal and to act for the humble. You know, the reality is you can either be humble or be humbled. But if you're going to experience his grace and power, you got to, that's who it comes to. And so it's a classic text like in Jeremiah 9 where the Lord says, don't let the wise man boast in his wisdom or the strong man in his strength or the rich man in his riches. But if you want to boast, boast that you know me. You know the living Lord. And all of these three things, these are gifts given to God's people and given to the world to uh, serve and help others. But then when they become the idols, they're getting torn down. So by the power of his hand, he's bringing this great reversal. But then notice the third thing that causes her to sing is what he does with the power of his mouth or his word. What does he say? In 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. Saying he's remembered his promise to us, And in this child, all of his promises are coming true. And what I find so amazing here is that she's holding on to a hope that was given to Abraham 2,000 years before she was born. She is remembering a promise made to him 2,000 years ago. Could you imagine hearing a promise that's been passed down through your people and your family for 2,000 years and you still believing it? It's almost like you've heard a promise like someone say, um, in my father's house are many rooms. And if it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And where I am, you will be also. You remember, that was given to us 2,000 years ago. And she's holding on and remembering. And those promises or has shaped her life. And look what she clings to. He's helped his servant Israel. From the very beginning of, of our life, he has been our help. A couple of weeks ago, as we looked at Exodus and the big, the big story of what has he done, he delivered her from slavery. He dwells with her. He, he provides for her and walks with her in the wilderness. And some of the images that the Old Testament uses of how the Lord helps Israel is he's like a caring physician who heals the brokenhearted. And puts them back together again. He's like the mighty king who protects them when their enemy comes. He's like the tender mother who, who raises them and nurses them and pr- provides for them. And so what she's celebrating is that all of God's promises are yes in this child. But really the thing I wonder, did she really know? Is didn't Mary really know how that yes was going to come? All of his promises are yes in this child, but that yes actually is only coming through the cross. That's how they come. All his promises are yes in Christ, but the path to get to their fulfillment is going to go through the cross. And did she really know that path? And I wonder, and I find so interesting that at the very beginning of Jesus' life, did you notice in verse 38, it this beautiful acceptance and declaration, whatever the Lord wills, I will do. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled. And in one sense, Jesus' earthly life began with that declaration. And then I wonder if she knew that his life would end with the same declaration. You could paraphrase what she said, not my will be done, but thine. And so Jesus brought about the salvation she celebrates, but the path to bring that is through the cross. And at the cross, all these things that she's kind of, uh, you know, is kind of raising her fist to the pride of the intellect, the pride of political power, the pride of of riches she's raising her fist, and it's the cross that's going to reverse all of these things. So it's actually at the cross where he inverts the pride of our intellect and shows us where real wisdom is found. And one of the things Paul says is that to the, to the world, to the Greeks, the cross is utter folly, foolishness. But to us, it's the wisdom of God because we see salvation could come no other way. And so it's the wisdom and in the very beginning. That's what Matthew wants us to know. From the very beginning of Jesus' life, wise men sought him because that's what wise men do. They seek him. And so it shows us what real wisdom is. It also shows us what real power is. So in our world, we think power is being strong, it's being mighty, it's it's pushing down those who are below us or weak, but here what she's celebrating is that real uh, Christmas points us to the path of real power, and that His power is made perfect through our weakness, and now through His presence, we can learn the secret of what it means to be content, whether we are full or empty, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. You can have that power, real power. And then he also reverses the pride of what real riches are. Because the gift, if you want to have a merry Christmas, is to see what real riches are. One of my favorite ways to illustrate this is a line from John Bunyan, who's a great Baptist pastor in the 17th century who was uh, wrote the Pilgrim's Progress, which is one of the most famous... You know, books written in English, and uh, he was imprisoned for 11 years during a time of political unrest uh, and persecution for preaching the gospel, and he was in prison for 11 years, and it was, a, it was a hardship on his family. He had um, four kids. One of them was blind, and it was a real hardship for his family, and he could have gotten out if he just said, I won't preach the gospel, but his conscience was bound, and uh, he talks about what. how did the Lord get him through the seasons in prison, And in the darkness, their prisons were not places you would want to spend, you know, 40 minutes in, much less 11 years. He says this beautiful quote where he says, I tell thee, friend, God hath allowed me to lay hold of such precious promises that I would not have them out of the Bible for all of the gold that could lie between London and York piled to the stars. As he had laid hold of promises that became so precious to him in his moment of darkness, in his moment of need, that he would not trade those for all of the gold and silver between London and York piled to the stars. And do you have promises like that in your life? Do you have promises? And if you do, do you know how rich you are this Christmas? I mean, are there certain realities that you would not trade for all of the dollars between Lake Nona and downtown piled to the stars? I mean, you are rich, do you have promises like you know in moments of anxiety and worry that you know the Lord is my shepherd? And then in moments of envy, do you know I shall not want? Do you know that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it? So don't doubt or worry. Do you have, can you cling to the promises of now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or think? Have you heard the promises to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden? And I will give you rest for your souls. And once those promises grip you, they become the most treasured possessions you own. And this Christmas, if you have those and can hold those, you're rich. And you can sing Mary's song. So how can we make her song our song? Maybe one of the things, if you feel abandoned this morning, if you feel alone, Look to Him. Look to Jesus. He sees and sing for joy. Maybe if you feel empty or weak, look to Him. His riches are there for you. Root your joy. Notice what Mary does. She, I find it so fascinating because the first two verses are kind of about what the Lord has done for her. Then all the rest is about Him. What He's going to do. Who He is. And if you're going to have her joy, you have to root your joy in the same place she does. And her joy is not rooted in me It's rooted in He. Look at it. His mercy. 51. Notice all the He's. He has performed. He has scattered. He has brought down. He lifts up. He fulfills. He sends away. He helps. He remembers. And if you're going to have this kind of joy, you've got to move out the me and make the he central. So do you want to sing this kind of joy? Then experience who she experienced. She was caught up in His holiness and His glory. So we're going to transition now and spend some time praying for us. And think for a moment, all right, what are the things that are keeping me from experiencing that kind of joy. How can I have it? How can I experience it? Uh, What are the things that are keeping me? And maybe you, like her, feel forgotten, or maybe you, like her, need some great reversal, or maybe you, like her, need to to cling to His Word. That's what we're going to pray for, that the Lord will make that a reality in our hearts. So, Lord, we praise You for this song. We thank You for the tremendous testimony that this... Young, highly favored, young girl who you were with, who did extraordinary things, can be for us, and we ask that you help that to encourage us. We thank you that her joy and her hope and her confidence wasn't rooted or grounded in who she was, but it was in who you are and what you've promised and what you've done and what you've said. So I pray for anyone who's come into this room this morning and they feel um, forgotten They feel like maybe the world has passed them by or their friends have forgotten them or their family has forgotten them. Uh, I pray that you would uh, encourage their hearts this morning, that they would know that the Lord sees. And that same reality that moved Mary would move them. And I pray for any of us who've come into this room and we feel like uh, we need a great reversal. We feel like we've been beaten down and we're on the bottom and we just can't seem to get uh, a win in life. I pray that we would uh, look to, to Mary and look to your son and look to your word and celebrate the reality that the same transformative truth that she celebrated. That the whole, by the Holy Spirit, Christ is in her. That by the Holy Spirit, Christ is in us. And that's our hope of glory. And all of our hope. All of our peace, all of our confidence is found here. And I also pray for anyone who's come this morning. They just feel wounded, feel weary. Uh, they need their heart encouraged. I ask that you would help us to, like John Bunyan, to cling to your word. Uh, if things are going well for us, help us to know your promises. Because then once the darkness comes, they'll be there. They'll be ready to help us when, um, when we need them. So I pray and ask now that you would help us to cling to the reality and truth of your word. And all this we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen.